Unless you see signs and wonders, you believe not. Words taken from today's Holy Gospel in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. As most of you know, I teach the Church Fathers at the seminary, and I'm even going on to higher studies this year in the Church Fathers, and so I spend a great deal of time, or I should be at any rate, reading the Great Fathers in our faith. This is something which priests have always been counseled to do by Holy Mother Church, and indeed when we consider these Gospels throughout the year that we find at Mass, we find that some of the most illustrious theologians of the Church, especially our dear St. Thomas Aquinas, composed chains of the readings of the Fathers, so that as you read through the Gospel throughout the year, you could read a chain. Many theologians composed these, and so did St. Thomas Aquinas, where you have one Father after the other, a short passage from each of the Fathers commenting on a passage of the Gospel, so that they are chained together in a flowing narrative, and thereby can understand what all the fathers had to say on any passage of the gospel. But the church also, of course, encourages our priests to read the full sermons of the fathers, and we are obliged to do so in the office of the church, in the breviary. Today we have a very short gospel, and it is preached on by St. Gregory the Great. Gregory the Great often preached short sermons to his flock. Every year, most priests I know smile as they encounter his sermon for Midnight Mass, when he makes mention so many centuries ago of the fact that since, dear flock, we have three Masses to celebrate, it is not the proper time to preach a long sermon. This is, in fact, what he said today, some 1,400 years ago, when he preached to his flock in Rome on this Sunday. He mentions that it is a very short gospel which we hear today, and one which is fairly easy to understand. He only wishes to call to mind one particular point. If we do examine today's gospels closely, we will see why he brings this up. Why, he asked, does our Lord say to this official, unless you see signs and wonders, you believe not? After all, doesn't it seem as though this man who is coming to our Lord to ask him to heal his dying son, does it not seem that he has great faith indeed? Why would he be coming to our Lord at all if he did not believe? We must then examine, with St. Gregory and the other fathers, examine this passage more closely. First of all, it is worth noting that what our Lord says, he says not to this man alone, but to a group. He says, unless you, you plural, unless you see signs and wonders, you believe not. He is then, as St. Gregory explains, upbraiding a whole group of people, and not just this man. Indeed, St. Gregory wisely contrasts this episode with another, recounted to us by St. Matthew, at a similar period of time in our Lord's ministry, 
when our Lord was approached just after the Sermon on the Mount by a centurion, by a Gentile, who comes to him to tell him that one of his servants is sick and dying. Our Lord immediately responds, I will go and heal him. To which the centurion responds, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant shall be healed. And so his servant is healed as his prayer expresses it. In this case, however, this man of great wealth and position in Capernaum, a Jew, goes to our Lord and asks him to come to his house. It does not mean that he is entirely without faith. Nevertheless, he wants him to come to his house, to which our Lord responds, knowing his heart and the hearts of so many of his countrymen, unless you see signs and wonders, you believe not. It is though he were to say to him, why do you not already believe? If you are coming to me to ask me to come to your house and heal your son, why are you not already living as one of my disciples? The man then, no doubt filled with tears at this point, implores our Lord again, come down before my son dies. Still, our Lord will not go to his house. He rebukes him, as St. Gregory explains, for his pride. This man was indeed filled with great pride. However, he accepts the humbling that he receives from our Lord. For our Lord tells him, go thy way, thy son liveth. He trusts in the word of our Lord and goes and does not continue to implore him to come to work a sign very visibly. He goes his way, and his son is indeed healed at the very moment when our Lord spoke those words. And so, his pride being rebuked, having accepted this humbling, he now becomes a true believer along with all his household in our Lord Jesus Christ. It is a reminder of what it means truly to believe. Our great Roman catechism has this to say about faith, the first article of our creed, which you are studying this year with Kenneth Mateus in adult theology. The word believe does not here mean to think, to suppose, to be of the opinion, but as the sacred scriptures teach, it expresses the deepest conviction by which the mind gives a firm and unhesitating assent to God, revealing his mysterious truths. As far, therefore, as regards the use of this word here, he who firmly and without hesitation is convinced of anything is said to believe. The knowledge derived through faith must not be considered less certain because its objects are not seen. For the divine light by which we know them, although it does not render them evident, it does not allow us to doubt them. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shone in our hearts, that the gospel may not be hidden to us, as to those that perish, as the Apostle says. From what has been said, then, it follows that he who has been given heavenly knowledge of faith is free from any curiosity. For when God commands us to believe, he does not propose us to search into his divine judgments or to inquire their reason or cause. Rather, he demands an unchangeable faith by which the mind rests content in the knowledge of eternal truth. And indeed, since we have the testimony of the apostle that God is true 
and every man a liar. And since it would argue arrogance and presumption to believe, to disbelieve the word of a grave and sensible man affirming anything is true, and to demand that he prove his statements by arguments of witnesses, how rash and foolish are those who, hearing the words of God himself, demand reasons for his heavenly and saving doctrines. Faith, therefore, must exclude not only all doubt, but all desire for demonstration. There is one final point which the Catechism makes here, in that he who says, I believe, and this is essential to our belief as Catholics, he who says, I believe, besides declaring the inward assent of the mind, which is an internal act of faith, should also openly profess and with alacrity acknowledge and proclaim what he inwardly in his heart believes. For the faithful should be animated by the same spirit that spoke by the lips of the prophet when he said, I believed and therefore did I speak, and should follow the example of the apostles who replied to the princes of the people, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. They should be encouraged by these noble words of St. Paul, I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. And likewise, by those, by those other words in which the truth of this doctrine is expressly confirmed, with the heart we believe unto justice, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Modern society never gives up on telling us that faith is very personal. Indeed, Catholics running for public office are often admonished that they should not let their policy positions be influenced by their personal beliefs. Are all moral questions to be removed from the public forum and consigned to the realm of personal belief? Must we all take personal to mean private, not intruding upon the public sphere? Religion is very personal. How often do we hear this polite dismissal? It reminds me of what one Christian apologist famously said, the world says religion is a very fine thing for you to practice in your private life when you're alone. And the, word, the world adds under its breath, and we will make sure that you're never alone. Let us, by all means, dear faithful, keep our belief personal. As Catholics, we believe in something very personal indeed, a personal God who from all eternity begot another person with a personal love perceiving from them both. We believe in a God who was found not in the storm or in the whirlwind, but in frail human flesh, who showed his love for us by dying for us, and confirmed our faith and gave us boundless hope by rising again. Let us keep this faith personal by joyfully answering all who question us with the words of the apostles. We cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.